Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. It would be great if you have Psalm 111 open in front of you, page 614, and shall we pray as we come to God's word? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that as we start a new year, we can turn again to your words. Please would you help us to understand them, help us to believe them, help us to live them out so that we might live a life of praise to you this year. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that's going around at this time of the year is top 10 lists. So the top 10 most read articles, the top 10 most listened to songs, the top 10 most watched things of 2020. Um, I was trying to look at, at that one and see what the top 10 most watched on TV was. So in the UK, get, you know, the Euro final by a mile is the, the, top ten, the top one, and then the line of duty finale. But as you look at across the world, globally, the most watched thing of 2020 was, 2021 was the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics. Apparently 3.05 billion people at some point last year watched the Tokyo Olympics. Now, I'm not usually the biggest Olympics fan, but partly because I wasn't very well and was just sitting on the sofa and it was the only thing on to watch. I watched lots of it, and I got into it more than I've done before. And as you sort of flick through the, the different events that are going on, from field hockey to pentathlon to 100 metres to synchronised swimming, as you flick through all of them, something was missing. Something that was obviously missing, and it was the cheering crowds. You see, in the world of COVID, the stadiums were empty. No one was there. And it really stood out, because when you see that the greatest athletes in the world performing on the greatest stage in the world, it deserves to be met with praise, with cheering, with delight. Because it goes without saying that praiseworthy deeds ought to be praised. And if that's true when it comes to human deeds in the world, how much more when it comes to God's deeds? His praiseworthy deeds ought to be praised. And that gets us to the heart of Psalm 111. This is a psalm of total, wholehearted, never-ending praise. Just look at how it begins in verse 1. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what the start of verse 1 means. And then if you look down to the end of verse 10, to him belongs eternal praise. And between there, it's an acrostic poem. You can't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's really obvious. A, B, C, D, all the way through to Z. It's the A to Z of praise. The person singing this psalm is praising God with their whole heart forever and wants us to join in. Now the question is, why turn to a psalm of total, 
never-ending praise at the start of a new year. Well, I guess if you're anything like me, the, the circumstances of the past couple of years haven't left me wanting to praise lots and lots and lots. Actually, I've been more likely to, to question or lament or perhaps on my worst days even grumble about what's been going on in God's world. Praise and rejoicing have often been a long way from my heart. And of course, the Bible is full of resources to help us face up to the realities of life in a broken world. We worked through a book like Ecclesiastes near the start of the pandemic, and many of the Psalms pick up on themes of lament and questioning. Yet five times in the New Testament, Paul commands his church to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. And these are churches going through all sorts of different trials and difficulties. So for one Sunday in the year, perhaps it's good for us, it's good for me at least, to think about how we go about cultivating a life of praise. That The praise that this psalmist has as he praises with total, wholehearted, never-ending praise. How do we go about cultivating a life of joyful praise? And I want to show you that this psalm gives us three ongoing, simple, practical ways we can cultivate a life of praise, entirely independent of our circumstances. We can follow them regardless of what happens in 2022. They help us to look in three different directions. We look around and we can ponder his works. Then we can look back and remember his rescue. And then we can look in and we can fear his name. So we're going to work through each of those in turn. So firstly, in verses one and two, ponder his works. Look down with me at verse one. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. So after committing himself to this wholehearted praise in verse one, the psalmist describes his life pondering God's works in verse two. Now the word pondering has an intensity to it. So it's like studying or investigating or searching out. And of course, if we delight in something, then we'll spend time studying it, searching out, investigating what it's all about. And the more you study, the more it fuels your awe and praise. So, so just think of the, the doting parent carefully studying everything that their little child is doing, every new word she learns, every artwork she draws, every puddle she splashes in, so that with great delight they can clog up our WhatsApp groups with millions of photos of all that their child is doing. Or think about the avid sports fan who spends their evening studying league tables and reading, mat watching matches and chatting on fan forums so with great delight they can bore us all with their millions of facts they have about their sports team. If you delight in something, you study it and you study it and you investigate. And the more you study, the more it fuels your praise. And verse 2 is saying that this principle applies to God. If we delight in God, then we'll spend time studying his works in the world. And the more we study, the more it will fuel our praise of him. Now, in the Psalms, God's works applies really broadly. It's his works in creation and salvation. We'll think more about salvation in part two. But if we delight in God, then we want to study all that he's done in creation around us. I don't know if you know this, but Psalm 111 verse 2 is written across the front door of the prestigious Cavendish lab at Cambridge University originally put there by the brilliant Christian and scientist James Clark Maxwell. Because he wanted to say, as you walk into this lab and as you begin to study physics there, you investigate the world that God has made and what we're doing in this lab should lead us to praise him more. 
Now, for myself, I, I wish I spent more time thinking about this way back 10 years ago when I was studying chemical engineering at university. In fact, I ended up being rebuked by a rather eccentric lecturer that we had. Um, he's the sort of lecturer who liked to cause a bit of a stir in his classes. And at the start of the course he was teaching, he kind of hushed us all, got us all to be quiet as we were sitting in the, in the lecture theatre. And he told us he had something very, very, very important he wanted to tell us. Now, he knew that probably most people in the room were either atheists or agnostics. I think he probably was himself as well. And he got us all quiet and he said, I'm going to tell you the most important thing that you need to know about my course. And he said in a hushed voice, God is a chemical engineer. And then everyone's sort of looking around like, what do we do? <laughs> What's this guy saying to us? God is a chemical engineer. We thought it was physics or engineering we were doing, not religion. God is a chemical engineer. What's he going on about? But what he was trying to say was when you open up all the cells in the human body and you look at the processes by which they work, they're the natural world that God has made tends to be just a far more efficient and better version of all the man-made processes we were learning about in our engineering degree. And as I sat there, I thought, yeah, that's right. As I spend time thinking about God's world that he's made, it's just a reflection on what God himself is doing in the world. What he, the master chemical engineer, has made. And so as a Christian, I can sit there pondering his works and I can leave praising God, even in a boring engineering lecture. I can leave praising God as I ponder his brilliance and the skill with which he's made the world. Of course, you don't have to be studying science or even studying at university level. Everything we see around us, every sound, every smell, every touch, every taste is part of the world that God has made and that he sustains at each moment, part of his works. And as we spend time studying them, it gives us fuel to praise him. He is the master chemical engineer designing processes in all the cells, but he's the master artist painting sunsets across the skies, the master musician conducting the symphony of sounds we hear, the master architect designing mountains and landscapes. He's the master programmer encoding information in our DNA. He's the master doctor healing our bodies and on and on. As we look around the world and ponder God's works, whether studying academically or just day to day, it can fuel our praise as we see how great his works are. So as we think about cultivating a life of praise this year, one simple, concrete thing we can do is deliberately to stop and just ponder the world around us and study the works that God is doing. To, to think about the sunset or the birds singing or whatever it is in a way that leads us to praise God. Of course, there, there are at least two enemies we face as we try and do that. One is our busyness. It's just such a fast-paced city full of distractions. Spending time to stop and think about God's works in the world just feels a bit inefficient. Yet if we delight in God and want to praise him, then just taking a moment to pause and look at the world around us and see what God is doing is one way we can do that. Of course, another great enemy is secularism. Our culture doesn't want to acknowledge God's involvement in creating and sustaining the world. Instead, it tells us what nature or scientific processes have done. And yet this is so far from the worldview of Psalm 111. The psalmist couldn't watch an Attenborough documentary in stunning high definition and be content with just talking about nature or scientific processes. He'd want to talk about the God who has designed those and praise him for his works. So in the context of our, our busy city and secular culture, we have to be more deliberate about it. And on the times when we get it right, it, it feels just so right. It makes sense. 
Um, with a, a newborn baby due soon, we've spent a, a number of um, times in, in pregnancy scans. And it's just amazing as you're forced to stop and sit. And we've been amazed to, to watch this baby growing and seeing what God is doing masterfully and miraculously, knitting this little baby together. And you sit there just praising God for his works. Perhaps all of us would find our praise for God fueled if at least once a week we just force ourselves to stop and look around at something, anything, and study what God is doing in the world. The psalmist says, Great are the works of the Lord, pondered by all who delight in them. So that's the first way we can cultivate a life of praise. We can look around and ponder God's works. The second way we'll see is in verses three to nine, where we are to remember his rescue. Remember his rescue. This is the main section of the psalm. And the psalmist turns from looking at God's works generally to his work of salvation specifically. Now for an Israelite, these verses, verses three to nine, would just have unmissable echoes of God's rescue in the Exodus. Let's just read verses three to nine again. It says this, glorious and majestic are his deeds. His righteousness endures forever. He's caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now, for, for an Israelite, as I said, these would have unmissable echoes of God's rescue from Egypt when he brought the people of Israel out of slavery through the wilderness to Mount Sinai and into the promised land of Canaan. So verse 4 and verse 9 talks about wonders and redemption. So the first part of the Exodus, where God performed mighty wonders to defeat Pharaoh and split the Red Sea to rescue the people and redeem them out of the land. And then verses 5 to 9, it talks about covenants. And verses 7 and 8, precepts and commands. So once the people had been taken out of Egypt, they were taken to Mount Sinai, where God established his covenant with them and gave them the Ten Commandments, the precepts and commands to follow. And God revealed himself there as the Lord who is gracious and compassionate, verse 4. And then verse 5, providing food, the daily provision that God gave to the people as they went through the desert for 40 years. And then verse 6, they were given the lands of the other nations as they entered the land of Canaan. So again and again, there are lots of echoes here of the exodus, the rescue that God had done for the people. And as verse 4 says, he's caused his wonders to be remembered. They're to be remembered. This great rescue that God has done is to be remembered. We're to look back and to remember. Now, there are lots of different ways, right, we can remember things. So some ways we remember things mostly about just information in our heads. So the way that you remember a phone number, right? It's important that you get the details right, but no one really gets excited about phone numbers. But there are other ways where it's mostly about sort of warm feelings in our hearts. So when you're talking to a, to a grandparent and they're telling you a nostalgic story of the good old days, and it doesn't really matter if the details are right, it's just about creating that warm, fuzzy feeling in your hearts. But the remembering that goes on here in Psalm 111 combines both head and heart. The rescue of the Exodus reveals loads and loads of information about who this rescuing God is. It's like light passing through the prism to reveal the whole array of different colours 
the rescue has revealed a whole array of different attributes of God. I mean, just look at this psalm and see what we would know about God if we only had this psalm in the whole Bible. We'd know that God is glorious, majestic, righteous, gracious, compassionate, powerful, faithful, just, trustworthy, upright, holy, awesome. Loads and loads and loads of things that this rescue has revealed about who God is. But all that information is not just to be stored away and remembered like a phone number in our heads, but it's being turned here into this amazing psalm of praise. This is remembering God's rescue in a way that combines both head and heart. And I think the key to to linking them both together is this repeated word forever. I don't know if you heard it come up again and again in these verses four times. So verse three, his righteousness endures forever. Verse five, he remembers his covenant forever. Verse eight, his precepts are established forever and ever. Verse nine, he ordained his covenant forever. God rescues his people to be in a relationship forever, forever. See, when God rescues, he's not like some superhero lurking in the darkness. And in our hour of need, he comes swooping in and rescues us and then disappears back off to the darkness. No, when he rescues us, he rescues us to be in relationship, covenant relationship forever. So that all that he is, all that he's revealed about himself, he is for us forever. That's why thinking about God's rescue can't remain cold information or just a warm, fuzzy feeling. As we find out what God has done in the past, it tells us who he is for us today and tomorrow and forever. And as we think about cultivating a life of praise, we don't look primarily back to God's rescue at the Exodus but to the rescue that Jesus has brought us from sin and death by his death on the cross and the daily provision he gives us in this life before bringing us to the promised land of heaven. If the Exodus has revealed a vast array of God's attributes, how much more the rescue of the cross? It's like upgrading a TV, you know, when you have standard definition, then you get this new TV and there it is, ultra high definition, 4K surround sound. You're not seeing a different God. You're seeing the same God, but with greater clarity and richer colours and surround sound. What could possibly display God's awesome grace, which you see at the Exodus, more than sending his son Jesus for sinners so that we can be certain that there is an offer of forgiveness and peace and hope in him? What could possibly display God's holy justice, which was seen at the Exodus, but more than punishing all our sins in full on Jesus at the cross. So we can be sure no sin in the universe will ever go unpunished. What could display God's glorious power, which we see at the Exodus, but even more clearly at the cross, as God raised Jesus from the dead so that we can be sure in him will be one day powerfully raised from the dead too. As we look at the cross, we remember his rescue And when we remember the rescue of the cross, we're remembering what God remains for us today and forever. As we enter 2022, uncertain of what might happen, we can be sure that not a day will go by when God ceases to be this God of Psalm 111 and the God of the cross, a God awesome in grace, holy in justice and glorious in power for us. And we want to keep on remembering that rescue in the same way that combines both head and heart. We don't ever want the the cross to become sort of cold information that we have stored in our heads like a phone number, nor just sort of some warm, fuzzy feeling that we have inside our hearts. 
perhaps you might see one of those tendencies in yourself at the moment. Now, as we begin 2022, hopefully committed to reading our Bibles and coming to church each week to hear about the rescue of Jesus, keep asking, what does this mean about for my relationship today? What's this showing me about who God is for me today? As he remains all these things for us forever. So we've seen we can look around and ponder God's works in creation. We can look back and remember his rescue at the cross. And both those things should help cultivate a life of praise. The third and final thing, which we'll find in verse 10, is that we can fear his name. Now, verse 10, in in some ways, is the conclusion to the psalm. So having pondered the greatness of God's works in creation, having remembered God's salvation in rescuing his people, the psalmist writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. This is a well-known saying in in the wisdom books in the Bible, an important part of living a godly life. The beginning, the starting point is to fear God, to fear God. Now, what does that mean? It's, It's not talking about some sort of raw emotional response of terror, like a cowering fear, like when our two year old sees a dog in the park and he sort of grabs my legs and hides behind me. It's not that sort of fear. No, it's that deep sense of of reverence and awe that makes you tremble when you find yourself invited into the presence of one you know is far greater than yourself. I mean, a bit like how I'd imagine I'd feel if I'd been put on the New Year's honours list and you think, okay, I'm going to go to Buckingham Palace, I'm going to meet the Queen. And you sort of, you know you're invited and you know you're welcome and you know you're there to be blessed, but there's also a, it's Buckingham Palace, it's the Queen. She's so much greater than I am. And you'd be knees trembling as you step forward to receive your honour. As we humbly acknowledge the greatness of God, that we're creatures totally dependent on our creator and that we're sinners totally dependent on our saviour, the only appropriate response is to stand in awe of him, to fear him. Every other response would be totally inadequate. And in verse 10, you'll see that that fear leads to obedience. It says, all who follow his precepts have good understanding. I mean, which creature wouldn't think that their creator knows the best way for them to live. Which saved sinner wouldn't, know, wouldn't think that their saviour wants them to live in the best way? The fear of the Lord always leads to obedience. But even more, living in the fear of the Lord also leads to more praise. Because the fear of the Lord is how Psalm 111 ends, and it's a conclusion and a fitting one, and yet it's also the beginning of Psalm 112. That The two Psalms come together. Now we're not going to have a whole other sermon on Psalm 112. You can read about that later this week if you want to. But Psalm 112 is another psalm of praise. begins, verse 1, praise the Lord. And it's another acrostic, just like Psalm 111. So they go together. And where Psalm 110 ends, the fear of the Lord, Psalm 111, 112, sorry, begins, blessed are those who fear the Lord. So Psalm 111 moves towards fearing the Lord. And Psalm 112 begins fearing the Lord. Now, one thing to look out for when you read Psalm 112 this week, if you'd like to, is to see how as we live in the fear of the Lord, it changes us to become like him. Psalm 112 details loads of character traits that become true of the person who fears the Lord. And strikingly, they are all very, very similar to the character traits we've seen revealed about who God is in Psalm 111. So if you just jump into one verse in Psalm 112, verse 4, it talks about, those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, 
Verse 5, those who are generous and conduct their affairs with justice. Grace, compassion, righteousness, generosity, justice. The person who fears the Lord becomes like the Lord that they fear. God changes them. There's a a New Testament scholar called Greg Beale who's written a book called We Become Like What We Worship. And that's a great summary. As we live in the fear of God, we become like God. He changes us. You you see the the principle at play in, in the teenager who's obsessed with a particular pop star and they start dressing like the pop star and speaking like the pop star and adopting the mannerisms of the pop star because they worship them. They become like them. As we live in the fear of the Lord, he changes us to become like him. And as Psalm 112 shows, that always ultimately leads to us enjoying God's blessings. And as we fear the Lord and become like him and enjoy his blessings, that surely gives us another reason to praise him. That's why Psalm 112 is also a psalm of praise. As we live in the fear of the Lord, we can look at ourselves and see the ways that God is changing us, how God is growing us, how he is blessing us. And that leads us to praise him all the more. For those of you who are part of a midweek small group, that's why the the time of prayer at the end is such a significant moment. I mean, we know that sometimes it can become just a a list of problems and it's important that we do pray for the, the, the problems that we're facing in life. That's important. But it's also important to keep asking, how have we seen God changing us? How have we enjoyed God's blessings this week? Because as we talk about those things, that will lead us to praise God for the way that he's at work in us as well. The psalmist tells us at the end, we should fear the Lord. That's the right response. And that's also the beginning of how we live a life of praise in this world. Psalm 111 is a psalm of total, wholehearted, never-ending praise. So as we enter 2022 with all sorts of uncertainties that we're no doubt feeling, let's keep on obeying Paul's command to rejoice always in the Lord. And we can do that as we look around at the greatness of God's works in creation, as we look back and remember his rescue, which he's achieved for us at the cross, and as we look in, as we fear the Lord and become changed to be like him. Let's keep on doing that, even amidst all of these uncertainties. Should we pray that we'd be a church able to do that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're a God who is great. Thank you that your works are great. Thank you that your rescue is great. Thank you that your work in us is great. Father, we pray you would help us to look around and look back and look in and see all the ways that you're at work and praise you this year. Help us to cultivate this life of praise that we might rejoice in you always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.